I am Dr. Barbara Kiao, and some clients prefer to call me Dr. Bibi. Welcome to my podcast. To be honest, a podcast that is born out of mental health advocacy. I believe in the power of intention, and my intention for this podcast is to educate whoever wishes to listen, be aware of the importance of making a paradigm shift in how we perceive mental illness. I also strongly believe mental health education is key. And that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is to invest in your own mental health. Let's face it: we all need to learn how our minds work and give people the skills to deal with life's ups and downs. Most important of all, let us strengthen our ability to better connect with. And support each other. Strong, empathetic, nurturing, and caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental health begins right now. Hello, everyone. This is Doctor Bibi. Have I got a treat for you this week, my listeners? Yes, I have invited a special guest to talk with us about mental health, suicide prevention, and she is going to share her personal lived experience with us as well. So, before I introduce her to you. Let us set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart and close your eyes, unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for five seconds, and let it out with a big sigh. Let your thoughts go. Let your past go. Now take a moment to plug into the greater energy of the universe. Feel your heart and imagine us all connected in a unified field of divine white light. And know that you are safe. All is well. And so it is. So take another deep breath in. Five, four, three, two, one, and let it out with a sigh. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. My special guest today, Doctor Sally Spencer Thomas. Empathy, intelligence, and vision that bring change, save lives, and ease suffering. 
These words best describe Dr. Spencer Thomas and her work to prevent suicide and people sustain a passion for living. Dr. Sally is a clinical psychologist and award-winning mental health advocate with her own personal experience of losing her beloved brother to suicide. Her mission of giving voice to people who have lived through suicide thoughts, attempts, and loss help those in despair see what's possible. Dr. Sally has a TED Talk and gave an invited address at the White House in 2016. Her impressive list of clients, past and present, includes the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, Chubb Insurance, and Southwest. She has also spoken and consulted internationally, including Australia, Ireland, Singapore, Taiwan, Denmark, and Belgium. In addition to helping leaders and communities implement innovative approaches to suicide prevention, Dr. Sally is the lead author on the National Guidelines for Workplace Suicide Prevention, Executive Secretary for the American Association of Suicidology, and President of United Suicide Survivors International. She also co-edits the Guts, Grit, and the Grind book series that provides men and the people who love them with tools to help them better understand and cope with life's challenges. When she is not out flying around speaking and training, you can find her in her fuzzy slippers in her home office with her loyal dog, Rocky, at her feet. Or up at 12,000 feet, backpacking along the Colorado Trail. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Dr. Sally Spencer Thomas. Yes, I must share this. You are one of the guest speakers that stood out for me at the Suicide Prevention Summit Um, a month ago now, organized by MHA, Mental Health Academy in Australia. I am so inspired by how candidly you shared your lived experience that I told myself that I must invite Dr. Sally to be my guest so she can also inspire my audience to not hide from similar situations but to share their stories. So, My intention for you, my audience, or anyone that is out there listening to this podcast, having Dr. Sally share her wisdom, expertise, knowledge, and lived experience can serve as a beacon sign of hope that you are not alone. There is help, and you can find resources for you or your loved ones. Dr. Spencer Thomas, thank you for being my guest today. Yeah, it's a it's quite an honor to be here, and I'm so glad that we connected. Thank you for the invitation. I know that you are an award-winning mental health advocate with your own personal experience of losing your beloved brother to suicide. So if you are willing, maybe we could start there. 
by you sharing your story? Sure, sure. So my younger brother, Carson, died December 7th, 2004. And uh, he was my only sibling and we were very close. And at the time of his death, I had been in the field of mental health for about 16 years um, as a student and then as a provider. Um, And it was uh, a huge tragedy for her family um, and and very much a calling to me to come back into the work. Um, So to back up a little bit, um, my brother was was a a very gifted um, young person when he was very young. Uh, He was always taking risks and he was a great athlete and he uh, launched a national company in his mid twenties. And by all the external counts of how we tend to measure success, at least in the United States, um, he had, he had all of that. Um, And he was dashingly handsome and he was, he had a beautiful family, but right alongside that he fought very fierce depression um, and that depression ended up killing him. So, um, at the time of my career, when he died, I'd actually moved away from being a therapist. I, I'm a psychologist by training um, and had been moving more into the area of leadership development. Um, and we knew he was in trouble. So not all families know that their loved one is struggling at that level. Um, but we did know his, his behavior had been very erratic. He had been um, very despondent in the weeks before we had all reached out. We had all, you know, supported him in many ways. We had connected him to resources. Um, we were all, we were all standing by. I had asked him if he had been thinking about suicide. He said yes, but he said he would never do it. You know, so we in in many ways our family did the things you're supposed to do. Um, I know today, all these years later, many things that I didn't know then, but um, we did the best we could at the time. Uh, And we lost him. And it was, you know, the shock of that grief afterwards that really catapulted the next whatever, wherever we are now, 16, 17 years of my life. Um, My brother's close friend, Sean, on the night of Carson's death, called my brother's wife, Heather, and said, oh, my God, what do we do? And she said, no matter what you do, don't let him be forgotten. So it was literally on that night that that man, Sean, started to turn the wheels in his head about what were we going to do. And by January of that next year, uh, there was a number of us that got together and resolved to do bold gap-filling work that would prevent what happened to Carson from happening to other people. And so that was that was the big turning point. And so this is what I do now. Every day I show up, I do this work in honor of, of him and the life that he lived um, and to prevent the tragedy from, from what our family experienced for other families. Mm. No, that's very admirable. And um, I commend you and, and everybody else that is doing the work. So after all these years, how would you say your own grieving and healing process is going and do you believe that there is a healing or that it will always be a scar Mm, good question um 
Yeah, I think in any major loss in anyone's life or any major trauma in anyone's life, there's always something that's left behind that you carry with you. Um, You're changed by it. Uh, So I do feel like there's a hole in our family that will never be replaced. My brother was the light and laughter in all of the family events. And there's just that hole still here today. Um, But there have also been a number of things that have helped. And I think, you know, in the, in the immediate aftermath, I was incredibly lucky um, with the supports that I had in place. Um, I was working at a university at a time and it was, it was a Jesuit university. Um, And what that meant for me is that they got grief. They understood grief. They showed up for me for grief. In fact, here we are all these years later, they still, I haven't worked there since 2009. They still show up for me, for my grief. They send me little, they send me little cards every year, you know, prayer for your brother kind of thing. Um, so, so I felt very blessed that I had, was in a workplace that understood that and gave me some flexibility and accommodations and also all kinds of like counseling support and support groups and all kinds of stuff. Um, I had a faith community that was also, really supportive. Not all faith communities are. Some of them are incredibly judgmental or um, exclude families that have this, but mine opened up their arms. And again, not in the short run only, but for years afterwards, um, providing support in many different ways. Uh, so, So all of that support in all these different ways in the first several months really, really helped probably the biggest piece in those first months was the support group that I went to. So I went to a suicide loss survivor support group and I'd never really been in a support group before. And I remember (laughs) it was one of my funny stories. I remember it was probably December something, maybe it was early January. Um, My father, my mother, my sister-in-law and I, all found our way to the support group. And it was a big room. There was like, I don't know, 30 people. And, you know, there's coffee. It's some kind of basement of some church. And there's, you know, people brought their little baked goods and all this stuff. So it was very comforting and welcoming. And we don't know what to expect. And we're sitting at the end of the circle uh, and people are going around introducing themselves. And some of these people have been coming for like 10, 12, 15 years. So they're all introducing themselves and all this stuff. And we're like the last family in the row and they get to us and we can't choke out words. Like we just can't even talk. The grief is still so, so intense for us. And I remember walking out of that group going, oh, thank God I have a place, you know, that people can hold that level of grief. Uh, My mother also said something like, oh, thank goodness. There's other mothers here. And the other two members of my family were like, that yeah. was awful. All we did was cry. I'm like, I know that's the point. But what, what that says to me is like, you know, everybody's got their own pathway through this. And, and for my mom and I kind of finding other survivors of loss um, that we could just be raw with, and we didn't have to worry about like overwhelming them or upsetting them, like, like totally under, understood the intensity of that grief, especially in the first several months. Um, I stayed on in that group for 18 months. My mom stayed on for 10 years um, and she eventually became a mentor, oh, wow. uh, you know, uh, for other, for other moms. And, and uh, it was, it was really helpful for her, you know, to give back, you know, to the people that had helped her through. So that was, that was all really important. Um, 
you know, I think the other piece that was really healing for me was just to, for me, and again, this is not for everybody, but for me to dive into the work of suicide prevention uh, was very helpful in a number of ways. And I started doing that probably in earnest in 2006. We got some big grants at my university and I, go, I joined the local coalition. I started dabbling nationally. Um, and part of what that did for me was it, would, it helped make meaning for me. So I could turn my pain of my grief into energy um, in getting in front of this for other people, but also in helping other bereaved families. So that felt really good. Uh, and then I always say, nobody gets into the work of suicide prevention because they want to be rich or famous. <laughs> Definitely yeah, not, right? Right. So <laughs> it's, it's really soul-filled, mission-driven people. And almost all of us have been touched in some way by this issue. Either we're lost survivors or we've cared for family members or we've had our own battles uh, or whatever. Um, this, is not, this is not an area of research that gets glamorized. Like there's nothing that is shiny and sparkly over here um, except for the people. Um, and so that was the other piece yeah. that was really helpful for me is that I found a community of people who are really passionate and generous and philanthropic and visionary about trying to move one of human nature's most daunting problems forward, you know, and that's, mm. that was very inspiring to me, both the community part of it and the mission part of it. So all of those things together were really helpful and, and still are very helpful to mm. me. What about if people that do not have that kind of support or that they don't know where to get the support? Um, what would you advise them to do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So since we're speaking to a global audience, I would definitely direct people to the International Association of Suicide Prevention. Uh, so this is a one-stop shop uh, to get all kinds of things, including where to get bereavement support in your own country. Um, one of the things that COVID also did for us is it moved everything virtual. So there are also a number of virtual resources out there that you can tap into anytime from any place. Um, the one that I know of that is really, really beautiful and well-resourced is the Alliance of Hope. It's a US-based organization, but it's a, it's a community forum. It's in English, so that's a limitation. Um, but it, it is, um, people can find their peers in this, in this website portal um, and communicate and ask for support and resources. And it's just, it's, it's a beautiful site. Um, so, but they also have um, localized crisis resources for suicide that also have bereavement support knowledge there. Um, it is not uncommon as it was it happened in my family that other family members fall into crisis after a suicide death. It is so traumatic for most of us. Um, and the grief is so complicated. If you were already vulnerable, you know, in some way, or if you had an addiction, or if you were already depressed, uh, or if you're, if your part of the experience was incredibly traumatic, like you saw the, the death scene or whatever, I mean, it is not unusual that 
multiple people surrounding that death will have very, very different, difficult experiences and may go into their own suicide crisis. So that's important to know as well, that that's a good place to find those crisis resources internationally. The International Association. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for that. I did share with you about my lived experience Mm -hmm that I lost my mom to suicide years ago. I was the only one that wanted to talk about it. Nobody else. So my question to you is, what can one do in situation like this? Mm. Well, I again, I do believe everybody's got their pathway through grief and you know, when my father walked out of that support group and said, no way, I'm never going back. That was way too intense, way too many people upset. Oh, really? Um, okay. yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, um, but he found his path, which was for him, what felt much more comfortable later, many years later, was to help other dads who had lost their sons. You know, so it was much more on a, on a one-to-one mentoring role. And that was really healing for him for, for quite some time. Um, so, so yeah, I think everybody needs to find their way. And, and, and sadly, you know, sometimes, you know, I always talk about the grief around suicide, like a chandelier that smashes to the floor and all the pieces go scattering. And sometimes it takes us a long time to pick it up. Uh, we had, we had all kinds of tensions in, in parts of our family's relationship that, you know, still have some lingering sore spots after that, you know, uh, but um, but you find your support in other places, I guess, that if you can't get it from the immediate person that you need to have the conversation with, because they're on their own journey, then you find other places to, to have that kind of relationship. And again, for me, I found a lot of that through the support groups, not necessarily through my missing family members kind of, kind of relationship, but just ability to process some of those thoughts and shame and trauma and concerns and all of that. It just was helpful to think it through that way. Okay. But you can't, you can't, you can't force someone onto your journey. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it just doesn't go well. It just doesn't yeah. go well. <laughs> or tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my audience, our time is running out for today's episode. I trust you have enjoyed this conversation and there is more with Dr. Sally Spencer-Thomas next week. So until then, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. Find this podcast, to be honest, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.drbarbarakiao.com. D R B A R 
B A R A K I A O dot com. <laughs>